Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Well, if you ask me, I believe that we need to give another round of applause for everybody who helped us worship this morning. One more time. At this time, we will bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious. Everything that we see you doing here at Villa's Grace Church is truly remarkable. It's so amazing. Time and time again, I'm reminded, reminded by the notion, the fact, the truth that it is you who is behind everything that is going on. Not one person alone here at Villa's Grace has made anything in which you've allowed us to be part of and what we are doing for the sake of the gospel. Nobody has done this on their own. It has been because of you, doors that you have opened. I pray that you continue to prepare hearts and open doors for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. We are in our sermon series Jesus in the Old Testament, and it's quite that simple. We are highlighting seven times. We've already done two. Today is number three. Seven times in which Jesus physically showed up before his birth. And I get it as a finite human being. That is so hard for us to comprehend. But God is not finite. He's infinite. And time is of importance or no importance to him. He can do as he pleases. He can show up just like he has and like he's evidenced. We are in a season right now where baseball is in full swing. I know we have some baseball fans in the building. In baseball, there are some very intricate rules that are rather difficult for the casual observer. It can be kind of hard to understand what's going on on the baseball field, on the diamond itself, if you don't really know everything that there is to know about the sport. And we love the sport here in North America. We love the sport in the Caribbean, and the sport is big in Japan. But one of those such rules that's kind of hard to understand sometimes is the sacrifice fly rule. Now, I know you've heard of the sacrifice fly, right? Or maybe you, you haven't, but let me just read to you the exact definition so we can answer the question, what is the sacrifice fly? See, in baseball, the sacrifice fly is this. It's score a sacrifice fly when, before two are out, the batter hits a ball in flight handled by an outfielder or an infielder running in the outfield in fair or foul territory that is caught and a run scores after the catch. That's why it's an intricate rule that some of us are like, what is a sacrifice fly? See, basically it's this. If you have, let's just, let's just keep it simple because it's a little bit more complicated than this, but we're going to keep it really simple. A sacrifice fly in baseball happens when, let's say, you have a runner on third base and you have a batter that's up to bat. And that batter knows that there's maybe only one out, and they need to score that run from third base. 
So what the batter does is try to purposely get out by hitting a fly ball into the outfield. And then as soon as the ball is caught, the runner on third can then tag up, run from third to home. See, what the batter does is he says, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to get out and go back into the dugout and sit on the pine in order for my teammate to score the run. Because after all, it's a team sport, isn't it? And when we prayed our prayer this morning, we realized that we are part of a team here too, aren't we? And we're part of a team, church, because we know that we have been sacrificed for ourselves. See, we didn't just score a run, though, did we? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have scored eternal life due to his sacrifice. See, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game, isn't it? We were born out in the game of life. We didn't get three strikes. God provided the necessary sacrifice of Jesus, which actually saved us from our sin, didn't he? In fact, the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't the first time that God provided, which brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title of our sermon this morning is The Sacrifice. The Sacrifice. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 19. So if you have your Bible or there's one underneath the seat in front of you, you can grab one. Do not worry. We will have all the verses on the screen this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 19. See, last week, Pastor Jared did an excellent job of encouraging us of God's great love and ability. Therefore, we can place our faith in him for all things. That's one of the takeaways that we had last week. See, we were reminded that God did an amazing thing between Abraham and Sarah. It was foretold that she would bear a son Isaac well past her childbearing years. Today, again, we are going to see Jesus show up in the Old Testament. We're going to see how God provided. Most importantly, though, we're going to recognize the significance of him doing so as it pertains to our eternal future. That's the gospel perspective. We want to be a church that's always focused on where we're going, where we're heading, because that's where our true hope is, our eternal future. So please follow along as I read from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Amen. When we look at all these verses this morning, we're going to go ahead and pack them into this one simple sentence. Isaac was freed by the ram, and we by the lamb. Isaac was freed by the ram, and we by the lamb. Now, technically, you could say Isaac was freed by the lamb, but we're not getting technical because this isn't a sacrifice fly. Now, let's ask this question. If this is true, how is Isaac and the ram similar to us and Jesus? Because Jesus is the lamb. How is Isaac and the ram similar to us and Jesus? Well, it's simple. Both traded death to give another breath. Both traded death, or traded for death, to free another to breath. And we see that in all of these verses this morning. And we see God doing something. And when I see God doing what he's doing here in these, these verses this morning about when Jesus shows up to Isaac here in Genesis 22, it reminds me right out the gate of something that happened to me last week here at church. Pastor Jared was doing a magnificent job of preaching, and I looked down at my watch and realized the time hadn't changed. I was frozen in time, or at least I thought I was for a second, but then I realized that my watch wasn't working. 
Now, see, I've had this watch for 20 years. 20 years I've had this watch. And I just recently took it into the jeweler to get the battery replaced. So when I noticed my watch wasn't working, I knew it couldn't be the battery. So now I'm up creek without a paddle. Because not only am I not capable or able to change the battery in this particular watch, now it's not working. So what do I have to do now? Well, the next logical step is for me to take my watch into a jeweler to take it apart to find out why it's not ticking. Why it's not going around. Church, this is precisely what God does to our hearts. Sometimes what seems like temptation in our life isn't really temptation at all. Sometimes what seems like temptation is really God examining our heart. Do you know what happens when we let God examine our heart? Every single time that we allow God to examine our heart, we learn something about our relationship with him. And we see God doing just this with Abraham in the first two verses of Genesis chapter 22. Let's take a look at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. When we look at verse 1, we can ask the question, is God testing Abraham with temptation? Because it says that he's tested him. He tested Abraham. Is he testing him with temptation? No. What we see him doing is God is examining Abraham's heart, just like I need to have a jeweler examine my watch. God is about to examine Abraham's heart, but he's going to do so with a request. Church, what is it that God's asking you to do? We clearly see God examining Abraham and then having a request for him, so we should expect God to be asking us to do something ourselves. So the real question is, what is the uncomfortable yet right thing to do that God is asking us to do in our lives? Abraham is about to be asked to do an extremely uncomfortable thing, isn't he? Let's take a look at verse 2. Our evidence is right there. He says, take your son. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Before we continue, we need to ask a question of the text. Something jumps out to me right away here. Why is God referring to Isaac as Abraham's only son? Didn't we just cover a few weeks ago that Ishmael was born first? So now all of a sudden, Isaac has become God's only son? What about Ishmael? See, Isaac was the son of promise. He was the promised son. He was the son that Abraham had trusted in God for. Ishmael was the son Abraham trusted in himself for. Remember, he plotted and schemed with Hagar. 
Sounds a little bit like us, doesn't it? Do you know what this is telling us? See, what this is telling me, and I hope it's telling you the same thing, what I see here is this. We can do a whole lot of good in this world. We can. We can get 50 back-to-school supply care packages to Villa's Elementary School every single year and do a lot of good. But if we do it without God, it's really done for nothing. So how about the extremely uncomfortable thing that God is asking Abraham to do? As it pertains to Isaac, God is asking Abraham to do what? What does it say here? It says, offer him there as a burnt offering. How about we just put that in our uncomfortableness? How about we just put that complete uncomfortableness in our pipe and smoke it? Can we? Church, nothing God asks us to do will ever exceed the request he made of Abraham. No matter what it is in your life right now that you think that God is asking you to do that's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, taking you out of your comfort zone, it will never exceed what he asked Abraham to do. And nothing God asks us to do will ever exceed what he did for us himself on the cross. Which is why we're saying today that Isaac was freed by the ram and we by the lamb. It's why we're asking this question. How is Isaac in the ram similar to us in Jesus? We're similar in our relationship because both traded for death to free another to breath. There's this beautiful lake in northern Minnesota. Most of us have never heard of it. But I guarantee you, we've probably either seen or maybe been in the waters of this lake. This is beautiful Lake Itasca. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not quite sure. If I say it with confidence, you won't know the difference anyway. Lake Itasca, northern Minnesota. See, these waters actually stretch all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, over 2,300 miles, all the way from northern Minnesota to the Gulf of Mexico. See, Lake Itasca is known for being the headwaters of the Mississippi River. What are headwaters? Well, headwaters are quite simply the source of where a river begins. See, the source that provides over 2,300 miles of water into the Gulf is Lake Itasca, this beautiful, gorgeous lake that you're looking at right now. That's where the Mississippi River starts. Church, God is our source. He is our headwaters. He provides for us in a much greater way, though, than Lake Itasca in the Mississippi River. Let's check this out in verses 7 and 8 and then 10 through 12. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
So they went, both of them, together. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, we don't really know how old Isaac was at this stage in the game. But we do know that he was old enough to trek up this mountain. That we do know. And we also know that he's old enough to recognize that there is no lamb. However, how does Abraham respond in verse 8? Verse 8 is a very crucial verse to this story, to this historical account, this accurate account. Verse 8 says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So before we continue, allow me to read you scripture from the New Testament. This comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, 18, and 19. Listen to this and apply it to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham hadn't forgotten God's promise. He knew that Isaac was his chosen son. Therefore, he had the faith that at the very least, God would have raised Isaac back from death into life. So much faith in fact that what he does next is astounding. In verse 10 it says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Could you imagine that? Placing your son or daughter on an altar and then raising the knife with so much faith, knowing even if you bring this knife down and kill your son or daughter, that God will at the very least, at least, raise them back to life. Church, can you trust God to this extent? He may be pushing you in an uncomfortable direction. He may be challenging you to grow. But he's doing these things so he can examine your heart. He's not asking you to slaughter your child. So sometimes I, I think we probably just need to get over ourselves. I'm speaking to myself when I say that. It's not like he's asking me to slaughter my only son. So why am I resisting getting a little uncomfortable so God can examine my heart so therefore I can grow in my faith in him? And I think we always need to remember what Abraham said in verse 8. I don't think we can forget what he said in verse 8. He said, God will provide for himself God will always provide for us no matter what. 
No matter what it is that you have before you, God will always provide. The problem is sometimes we just don't appreciate the way in which he's actually providing. So how does Abraham provide for himself? Or how does God provide for himself with Abraham? That's the big question. How is it that God actually provided for himself for Abraham? Well, first and foremost, Jesus shows up. Verse 11, I love it. But the angel of the Lord, a.k.a. Jesus himself. The Lord himself is now communicating directly with Abraham. Directly with Abraham. He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Abraham had passed the test. God had examined his heart, set out in verse 1 like it said to test him. And he had passed the test. He had passed this examination. Church, through Jesus, God has provided for us on a massive scale. Jesus and his death on the cross is God providing for himself for us. So why wouldn't he provide for us on a minuscule scale? God can do it big and he can do it small. The death Burial and resurrection of Jesus has provided for us eternal life, a life that surpasses this life now, which should give us encouragement to get over ourselves, which should encourage us to never forget that God will provide for us no matter what. How he ultimately provided for himself is why we're saying this this morning. It's why we're throwing these verses into one sentence that says, Isaac was freed by the ram and we by the lamb. It's why we're asking the question, how is Isaac and the ram similar to us in Jesus? It's similar because both traded for death to give another breath. February 3rd, 1959 was known as the day the music died. Some of you know these artists. The most well-known artist that you see before you is Buddy Holly, Rising Stars, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. They were on tour together. It was called the Winter Dance Party Tour. February 3rd, 1959 was the day the music died. See, what happened was the promoters who actually put this tour together didn't do a good job of geographically picking locations. See, it was in the middle of winter. They went through a number of buses, like six or eight buses. They kept breaking down. The heat was down on the bus. They were getting frostbite. They were getting the flu. Sometimes they would travel through a town to go to another town to do a concert and then come back to the town they just traveled through. And they do a concert, they were like zigzagging everywhere. It made no sense. So Buddy Holly got fed up. Buddy Holly decided to charter a plane to their next venue late at night. It was a Beechcraft Bonanza, 1949 Beechcraft Bonanza that he chartered. When Buddy chartered this plane... 
there was a problem. And the problem was there was only four seats, one including the pilot. So what happened was Buddy was going no matter what because he did the charter. But the problem was the big bopper had the flu. So he traded places with Waylon Jennings. Some of you might know who Waylon Jennings is. And then Richie Valens won a coin toss over another bandmate of Holly's. So he got on the plane. So the Big Bopper traded spots with Waylon Jennings. And Richie Valens traded spots with a man by the last name of Alsup. They get on this plane. The problem was the weather was terrible. It was zero visibility. The pilot, the pilot was not rated for instrument rating flying. This is what needed to happen. This plane could only fly through the instruments alone. He had trained to be instrument rated, but he never officially passed the test. What happens? Six miles after takeoff, the plane crashes, killing everybody instantly on board. What if, what if the Big Bopper and Waylon Jennings would have never traded places? What if Richie Valens and Alsup wouldn't have traded places? Would this have been the day the music died? Church, what if the ram hadn't traded places with Isaac? But, but really, here, here's the real question. What if Jesus hadn't traded places with us? Verses 13, 16, 17, 18, 19. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In verse 13, we see an indication that the ram substituted places with Isaac. Instead of Isaac being offered up as a burnt offering, God provided for himself a ram. Do you know who this ram is a foreshadow of? Jesus. See, the ram substituted places with Isaac. Jesus substituted places with us. God has provided for us a means for eternal salvation, which is Him as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Church, we have a God who will show up. We have a God who will always provide. Jesus will always show up and deliver for us. No matter what. He showed up to Abraham and provided a ram. He showed up to us and sacrificed himself on a cross. So I'm asking myself, and you should be asking yourself, what is it that you're selfishly holding on to that's preventing you from leaving your comfort zone? 
Our natural sinful impulse is to hold on to what's comfortable. God is calling you out of comfort. I'm standing up here today because the Lord called me out of comfort. I'll never forget. I was in a barber shop. I wasn't on staff at a church any longer. But I had people meeting on my, in my house on Sunday mornings. I had a history of basically getting jobs and keeping them for a long time. I was extremely comfortable. It was, only, it was only the second barbershop I ever worked in in my life, and I was extremely comfortable there. But I felt like God said, you got to move. you got to go. So what did I do? I moved to another barbershop because I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I wanted to do what I thought was comfortable. That other barbershop didn't last very long. It only lasted for about a month until I left with no employment to be here today. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Pastor Jared, at that moment in my life, said something to me that I'll never forget. See, Pastor Jared was still in Bonita Springs at another church. But when... I was sharing with him in my life of what I was going through. He just looked at me and he said, you know why you wanted to stay there, don't you? I'm like, no, why? He goes, because you were comfortable. I don't know about you, but up until this point right now, I'm glad that I chose to not be comfortable because it's put me in a position to meet every last one of you. I wouldn't have the relationship that I have with you if I wouldn't have taken that step. I wouldn't have been confident in taking that step if I didn't have a brother in Christ like Pastor Jared to remind me. And that's what we need to be doing to each other. So what is it that you're selfishly holding on to? We can't forget that our natural sinful tendency, our natural impulse is to hold on to what's comfortable. God is calling you out of comfort. See, this account of Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus isn't about something that God didn't know. It was all about something that God already knew. It's about what can be achieved through faith. So I'd like to call Mike up and ask a question as he's coming up. So what can be achieved through faith? What is it that can be achieved through faith? Church, all of eternity can be achieved through faith. Look where Abraham's faith led him in verses 16, 17, and 18. Look what God had promised due to his faith. What does God say? He says, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why are these promises being made? Because of what verse 18 says. Because you have obeyed 
my voice. When we obey the voice of the Lord, people get saved. Anything uncomfortable that you're being asked to do is so someone else can get saved. It's so someone else can see an example of how to follow Jesus. All of eternity is achieved through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. The same Jesus who showed up right before Abraham brought that knife down on his only son, Isaac. And all of this makes possible for us to say today what we have been saying from the beginning. Isaac was freed by the ram and we by the lamb. That's why we ask the question. How is Isaac's relationship with the ram is similar to our relationship with Jesus? Both traded for death to free another to breath. Church, God's not using you to make your life better. He may make your life worse. God's using you to share the good news of Jesus. And that's what kind of church we're going to be. That's what kind of church we are right now. We're going to continue in that path. So I shouldn't even say that's the kind of church that we're going to be. We want to be the type of church to where we allow the Lord to use us to share His good news. Because why? We know that He will always provide for Himself. Because He always shows up for us no matter what. Heavenly Father, we are encouraged by what your word tells us, the truth. I pray that we can encourage one another in the gospel, the good news of salvation. Lord, we need you. Remind us to remind each other how much it is that we actually need you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.